Hello, everybody. This is Charlie and Nicole, who are the co-hosts of the podcast to Hell and Back, where we talk about people dealing with adversity in their lives and how they get into that adversity, how they get through it, how they get out of it, what kind of skills they use, what they learn. And uh, we're, we're, we're having a literally a fourth podcast about the loss of a young man uh, that you may have listened to earlier ones. They're very recent if you want to check them out. Uh, to, and the young man is Ross. Uh, Ross uh, took his own life a little over two years ago in May of 2020. And uh, we talked to his mother for two podcasts about Ross and about how she has coped with the past two years of uh, trying to get through the time. And then we talked to uh, someone named Mariah, who is um, the fiance of Ross's brother, Teddy. And now we're having the opportunity to talk with Teddy. So it's a lot of different angles. And I think it really is deserved uh, because this is a topic that sometimes people don't talk about, like when somebody takes their life and how did they cope with that? And how did it happen? And and how are they doing now? And how'd they get through it? And so the, the hope is that by talking about this from these different angles, that people out there over the coming days and years can tune into this and be uh, get some help thinking about what people go through and how they go through it. So we have with us um, Teddy. And Teddy is uh, was Ross's brother and uh, was right in the middle of this loss and is still coping with it, of course, two years later. And so we're getting the opportunity to to talk with Teddy about what his experiences are. And, and that's going to include, like, who was Ross to him? Uh, yeah, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Everything about Ross. Uh, and as you'll hear, there's a lot of good. And there's also a lot of challenge. And uh, and then there's uh, and about how, it, how it's been for Teddy. So, Teddy, thank you so much for being willing to come on. I know you've been settling into a new house. And uh, you've just made a trip to somebody's wedding and you've just made a trip out of the country. And so it's amazing that we have you here. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> definitely a little bit tired, but uh, yep, ready to go. <laughs> Good. All right, all right. So look, I mean, you heard what this is about and we don't have, a, a, as we discussed just before we started, you know, none of us have created a script for this. It's just going to be a conversation. Um, and so I wonder if you could just start by saying a little bit so people know a little bit about who you are, where you are, what you do in your life. And um, and then we'll sort of go into sort of your, your you know, who, who Ross was to you as a brother and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, well, I am 30 years old. I am living in Scarborough, Maine, which is like 10 minutes south of Portland. Um, both my fiance Mariah and I work from home. So, you know, that's where, where we're at for the most part now since, since the pandemic. Um, so I just turned 30. Um, we lost Ross when I was 27. Um, I'm 
three years older than Ross. Um, and I guess if we want to get into kind of our relationship a little bit, um, I, I was thinking about that before this, this conversation. Um, and I really think the best and quickest way to describe it is like, we were really like, I would say brothers in a more general sense for the first maybe 16, 17 years of his life. And then a lot more like friends for the, the final seven. Um, I think our relationship really changed a lot from when he was probably 17, maybe 16 mm. and kind of up from that age. Um, I, I think like it makes some sense too. Cause when you, when you think about siblings, especially like in high school, three years is like <laughs> a lot. But, you know, yeah. you, you think, you think of like a 13 year old and a 16 year old or whatever it it's, it's a lot, but then that evens out pretty quickly. Um, right. Right. Once, once you get into, you know, eight, 18 to 21, 19, 22, whatever, that sort of thing, the differences kind of slip away a lot. And then in the, in the, the, like, you know, when he was probably 21, 22, 23, right through 24, um, I think we were pretty darn close in more of a friend, a friend kind of way, as opposed to like a sibling specific kind of way. Teddy, what, um, what does that mean? I mean, I, I grew up with three brothers. I have two sons. I'm very, very much know what it was like for me. But what was, when you say you became more like friends than brothers, what, what changed? What came and what went away? I think... Like, I guess when I'm, when I'm saying like brothers, you know, I always liked Ross just as a person. I was like being around him and I always thought he was smart, but we, we didn't like connect as much and we didn't really hang out as much. And that changed a lot as we got older, where we would just spend time, just the two of us, which I think was the, the biggest difference. We never really did that. It would be with family with maybe some of his friends, but then we started hanging out like just us, like just going on drives, going out to eat, going to movies, like we would, you know, and then once we're a little older, we'd go, go out to a bar or something. Um, that, that changed, I think things a lot and made us a lot closer. Um, and also when you're in that sort of situation where you're one-on-one -on -one with someone, I think you just get a, a way better grip of who they are and, you know, you get a, you form a better connection that is, you know, I, I think just a lot different than hanging out in groups of people with, without a doubt. Yeah. It's interesting that you said this, Be I, it catches me a little bit by surprise because of the conversations with Beth, um, your mother, his mother, uh, where it sounded like he got to the point the last few years where he was so stuck at home so much isolated in his room, so much dealing with, and, and there's something Mariah talked about too, it's kind of like existential questions about life and what's the point of life and stuff like that, um, that I, I didn't realize that, like he'd be going out with you. Like, would you go to the house and say, hey, Bross, do you wanna, do you wanna go to the movies or do you wanna go to a bar or something like that? 
I think um, that's a yeah, that's a good point. I guess it's it's cool that you have the the recent podcast with my mom's stuff. Um, I'm thinking like for right now, at least right then. Speaking of him, I'm I'm thinking very in the in the positive there. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Like I was thinking about like our relationship. I I wasn't thinking about like the reality of his life was not good at all throughout yeah. those years. There were, there were times where I, I probably was able to get him out of the house better than most people. I think I probably had the easiest time getting him to maybe go do something quick. Yeah. Um, even if it was something simple, like, you know, go to a stupid restaurant or whatever. Um, but there were times and not just a, like one or two, there were, there were plenty of times where I also would go try to hang out with Ross and on occasion, you know, I'd be traveling two hours specifically to hang out with Ross and, and, you know, and I couldn't get him out of his room either. And that's a type of, you know, that's a type of uh, mental state or darkness that I, I have never like had in my life. I, I, I feel horrible for people that do have that, that those feelings, because I'm not saying let's go to a, a party with a bunch of people and you're going to need to interact. I'm talking even go out for a drive, like just around town mm -hmm. and him saying no to that. I mean, that's, that's a type of, um, yeah, that's a type of darkness that's very difficult for, I think someone on the outside to understand. I think also, um, that, that type of, if you get used to something like that, whether it's a friend or a family and it happens enough and you see them work through it over time, I think it can become more normative or more normal when it's not, that's not normal behavior <laughs> in the slightest. Like that's really abnormal human, you know, like yeah. just that being locked in your room. I think you can get kind of like, you can get pushed if you see it enough and you live with enough where you're like, this is a new normal or it sort of works, but that's not, you know, that's not great either. Right. 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 Would do you, would you have an, did you have a, a way of understanding that he would say no when you would ask him sometimes to go out? Um, did you, and you say there was a lot of darkness. Would he share the darkness? Would he say, no, I'm too depressed? Or would he say, no, I'm caught up in my thoughts or no, I don't want to see the universe at all. Or, or would he just kind of like say no? And you'd have to wonder what's I, going on. I would accept it um, for the most part, but never really fully understood it. Um, he, he went through a lot of ups and downs where, you know, there could be periods. And this, this is something that you goes back, uh, to when he was, I don't know, 15 maybe or something. So mm -hmm. when I say I'm trying to hang out with him, say in my, you know, in his early twenties, I've been seeing some of this behavior for five, six, seven years, mm -hmm. you know? So I really just accepted it. If he said no, I was, I just, uh, okay, that's, that is what it is. But as far as um, him giving an explanation, no, that would never really happen. Um, hmm. 
And, you know, when we were having times that were good, um, I never really tried to poke him about that stuff. I think that's probably one of uh, my weaknesses as well is I, I don't like having a bad time with other people. So I don't like bringing up hard stuff. I try to keep things pretty much positive all the time. I think that's probably a, not a great great in some senses. Um, but I never, yeah, I never really fully um, got a, a, a pure sense of what he was going through. I think I had my own ideas about it. And if I really dug into our conversations, I'm sure I could pick through things he said that would give me an idea, but it's hard on the spot to really, to really think that through. Yeah. I'm curious about maybe going back in time a little bit. Just when you guys were kids, um, what was relationship as kids and what were your impressions of him as a kid? Were, was there evidence of, you know, any of his later struggles in your mind? Um, did you feel protective of him then? What, what was the picture of your early childhood? Um, well, we, we actually got along pretty well in, you know, we had, you know, just fights and stuff as brothers, but we, we got along pretty well. I think there, um, everyone, including myself, you know, but we all knew he was very smart, like since forever. Um, I think that kind of, <laughs> that kind of like wasn't great for him sometimes. Um, just his, his intellect, I think, you know, that backfired in a lot of places in his life. Um, but when he was little, there were times to that, like, you know, um, he had problems that probably were a little outside of the norm in, in school, um, with, with adults and stuff. Um, not so much with me, but, but I would say there were some things that, you know, he definitely struggled with. I think, um, I think as an older brother, I, I, I felt somewhat protective of, and for, for sure. Um, but that definitely got more so as we got older, I think, you know, when you're, when you're seven, eight yourself and your younger siblings, you know, four or something, you're not, you're not really thinking about much yourself, you know, the, was, was that first grade, you're just drawing pictures and, you know, talking about. I mean, whatever. you're saying that Teddy, but I just have to tell you in contrast to that, in my raising, our, my wife and me raising our two sons, they were four years apart, sort of not too different than your situation. You're three years. And, um, and when my older one was seven and we were at a playground and he was sitting on this elephant or something that he was riding on. And this little girl came up and shoved him off the elephant, like knocked him on the ground. His three-year-old brother came up and punched the, um, the girl. You know, so even the younger one will sometimes step in and protect. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and I, I definitely, I definitely had like, you know, protectiveness uh, without a doubt, but um, <laughs> it's, as far as like, you know, looking back to a different thing, as far as realizing some things might've been um, like some of his struggles at, at a younger age, um, the only thing I can think of is he was kind of 
a crazy little bastard. I mean, he was, he was, you know, kind of nuts. I, I just thought, I just thought a lot of kids were kind of nuts, but he was like, you know, he would, <laughs> he would run over and, you know, he would kick adults in the shin or headbutt people. And like, you know, he would do some crazy stuff, but I, like at a young age, I always thought like, oh yeah, little kids are sometimes crazy. I, I, right. You know, and, but looking back as an adult, you know, some of that stuff was, was probably <laughs> who, who knows, you know, but like, yeah, he, he and he, he learned how to swear at a very young age. So he loved swearing at, you know, and he would be a, a, a three-year-old telling my dad to go fuck himself or, or, or you know, fuck you. And, and, and other parents would just be like, what in the world is going on with that little kid? Um, right. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. So he was, he had some crazy stuff going on, but I didn't, I didn't think of that as being too, too, uh, one of the things, one thing that your mom said about him was that he was, um, he was probably the source of the most laughter and the most crying, uh, that they've yeah. ever done. I, I would, I, yeah, I would agree with that. Yep. <laughs> I, I think that's definitely true. Also, you know, at say a family gathering or something, um, there's a lot of good, raw stories from when he was younger because he just did some really crazy funny stuff mm -hmm. um and it's, it's great looking back on that um <laughs> it wasn't it well i wouldn't say until you know a, a little bit older that we he started running into some some bigger issues socially um you know maybe 13 12 13 14 sort of period perhaps maybe even earlier to be honest um it's so interesting that everybody, your mother and Mariah and you all have commented on how smart he was. Um, and I don't know what, I mean, there's a million different kinds of intelligence, of course, but there was a certain kind of smartness that he must have had that was very noticeable uh, or wouldn't have everybody commenting on it. And then for some reason, I'm also drawing a link, link between that in my mind and the fact that he went on and your mom took him to an audition and he started acting and and winning lead roles immediately there's something about his presence you know that's yeah i think i think he's always like he was always able to um kind of understand the world at a level that was a lot higher than probably his age per, per se that's probably the quickest way i can describe it. but like you know he would understand a lot of stuff about complex whatever, he'd read book, crazy books that say like 15, that maybe, you know, <laughs> a 20 year old would better understand. And then at 20, be re reading stuff that 40 year olds would better understand, hmm. but you know, complex stuff. And I think, I think honestly, one of the, one of the, 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 the issues he ran into with being smart like that is thinking he could kind of resolve all all his issues by himself without really ever asking for That's real help. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a problem. Um, like, you know, a, a, a big one because it doesn't matter how smart you are, it you're gonna need some help at some point in your life. And, pretty much all the time you know people need people need help in in most aspects of their life through time and if you try to fix everything especially if you're having 
struggles with mental illness um, by yourself, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty tough rabbit hole to be jumping down. Right. Right. I, yeah. I. So what? I. I. I, I oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was just thinking. You know, one one thing I know about you, but not I don't know it from you. Uh, I know about you because your mother and your fiance is uh, how important friendships have been to you and your friends. And uh, it makes me wonder, like when you guys were little boys in the household and stuff, did that start early? Did you already have like friends you would do stuff with or that you would hang out with and Ross tended to be more isolated? Or did he have friends um, too? Or did he hang out with you and, and your friends? So I, yeah, I've had, I've had, I mean, I'm still, you know, incredibly good friends with someone I've met when I was three years old. Um, and I still see, see him all the time. And I lived with them for like three years, a couple of years ago with Mariah and stuff. Um, Joe, my friend, Joe, uh, I met him in preschool. We were very good friends through kindergarten, right through, you know, grade school, college, high school, whatever. Um, and for Ross, he never had a, a friend kind of like that when he was very young. I think he, he had some very good friends from, I'd say, like maybe late grade school period to early high school sort of age, mm -hmm. um, like his friend Ela. Um, and then yeah. a little bit later, his friend Alex, um, they were both excellent, excellent friends of his, but not from growing up through life. And, and, you know, for me, I guess that definitely was a big differentiator because another one of my friend, like really good friends who, who I still keep in touch with and see, I met when I was six years old, um. So, you know, right there, those, those are people I've grown up with, shared everything in life through, you know, and, and Ross never had really that, that's that system there, mm -hmm. and that support. And, and, and I think that's also tough and it must, it must've been tough too, um, for him to see that, you know, it, see that from his older brother. I always had someone to hang out with, I, I've never, you know, it, it's. It, that's a difference that I think could be hard to see in a sibling that's like, I, I don't have someone to hang out with right now. And, and Teddy kind of can go do his thing. Um, right. I, I would imagine that's tough. No, I know the, your father would, you know, heard this from, well, I've heard this several places, but I heard this from your father because I spoke to him after Ross had taken his life. And uh, and then I would hear from your mother that your father would do this thing that it in, in it, that's in your family that I've never heard of it in my life until I've met you guys is what's called random rides, which is uh, like just hop. I mean, but I've done it myself, but I never called it random rides. But sort of like just hop in the car and go. And she said sometimes that's all he would do. Like he'd be willing to just get in the car and go. And it sounds like maybe there was your own version of random rides if you would go there and just say hey. Ross, let's go. Let's go to yeah. a restaurant. Oh, a hundred percent. I think um, you know that's probably. Um, I'm sure other people do it. Maybe they don't call it random rides, but I would think that's probably more specific to folks that are outside of cities. 
or, you know, more yeah. rural uh, areas because, you know, who wants to drive in a car for three hours through traffic by choice? You know, that's right. not an enjoyable right. thought. But we, we would, you know, we would go on rides sometimes, um, you know, I don't know. Sometimes it could be two, three hours um, just through New Hampshire, Vermont, you know. Um, yeah. Not with a destination in mind, but we would always find something to do. And I think that was um, one of the things Ross loved doing. And one of the things that he would do, even on some pretty low points in his life, he mm. would still do that. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I did that plenty with him as well. Just me and him, like, um, when he was in his probably his twenties. Um, and we, you know, we did that a lot too. And sometimes, you know, we'd have a, a destination sometimes. Um, but often you're just, you're just cruising around talking about whatever, whatever shit comes to mind. And it's, it's a pretty cool thing. And I miss that a lot. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's something I don't really do with anyone else. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I can't think of a, a friend that I would call up and say, let's go for a three hour drive for no purpose, <laughs> no reason. Right, um, right, right, right. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so that's something that was pretty unique, uh, with, with Ross and, and my, and my dad as well. And, you know, my dad and I are, aren't going to do that now that Ross is gone. It, it, it's also <laughs> just an aspect of life that's kind of history, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as things get got closer to where he took his life in 2020, like, w did, was your experience of that whole period that he was having more trouble? He was more isolated. He was more anxious. He was more worried. He was more preoccupied. I mean... Did you sort of see a darkness setting in uh, or, or didn't it seem that much different? There were, yeah, there was certain things that you could tell there, there was like some, some darkness that was, you know, say you compare it to your average person, it would, you would think that's extreme darkness. But relative to Ross's past, say, 10 years, it was maybe just slightly darker. I see. Um, and that's and that's kind of that that new normal I was talking about where you get used to things that aren't normal and it's not really good. Um, he he did. I, I mean, there were some things he, he did get stopped by the police um, for drinking and driving. Uh you know, six weeks, seven weeks before. Um, I think that was, you know, something that was hanging over him. And and that's a tough thing to go through. I went through it when I was 18. You know, DUIs, it, 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 that sucks. It's not a good process. I think that, you know, he, he uh, like, he kind of made a mess of the living room one day, um, which was kind of a little bit darker than what, you know, he usually, like usually he would lock himself in his room. I wasn't at the house at the time. Um, I was in, in Hanover at Mariah's house. Um, but I got back and he had just made a, a mess of the living room. Um, you know, throwing cigarettes on the ground, and beer bottles, and just didn't give a shit about mm. clearly, you know, which was, that was, you know, definitely 
And I, I, you know, I talked to my mom about that, that the, the day that happened and, and about other, you know, things there. And it's just, it's just hard to know what means what, and it's really hard to know just how out of the norm something is when someone's been out of the norm for a decade you know, or, or more when, you know, it's hard to like get a sense of what, what to do there. Um, well, I think and, it's really hard, Teddy, because it, part of why it's hard is that you're not, like you say, you're you're used to a, a very abnormal situation where with somebody else, you could come back to a brother and say, what the hell? I mean, what, what did you do here? What's going on here? And they might be able to explain something. But you didn't have access to what was going on in him some of the time. I mean, I know. It seems that he was, you know, he was a closed book in some ways, and yet a lot have probably thinking nonstop about stuff. You know? Yes, I, I totally agree. I mean, he he was definitely thinking nonstop. I mean, because he was he was reading nonstop, and I think the the thing that yeah would have been tough is if I had you know tried to try to get a sense of what was going on that I don't think that would have gone really anywhere. And it, right. And it's not even really, it's more of a knowing than a thought. I, I just kind of know that wouldn't have gone anywhere. Right. Um, you, you know, and that's, that's a difficult si situation to be in as a sibling as well. You know, um, I also just as a brother too, I, I, for the most part just wanted to just, not treat him any differently as anyone else. I, I, you know, he was my friend and I didn't want him, like, that was always something I struggled with. I, I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> some, someone that's got more experience or some therapist would say, you know, you shouldn't have been treating him so, so much as a friend maybe, or setting some boundaries, but I, I, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I just always treated him exactly as friend. So I never did anything different, really, but also that made it hard. You know, I, I didn't want to, like, drag him down more than he might have already been. So I didn't try to drill him on, you know, why he was feeling a certain way. So that's that's tough, too. <laughs> yeah, just tough. Just tough. No, you're having to, you know, like you, you said, it just stays with me what you said, that you were coping with what had gradually become an abnormal situation for a long time. And so the patterns of communication were very strange. I mean, and uh, maybe if you went on a random ride with him, like conversation might happen. But other than that, deliberate conversation, going to someone like him and saying, what's going on, might go nowhere. Or tell me why you're staying in your room, might go nowhere. Or why did you mess things up, might go nowhere. It's, it's uh, you're living with a, I don't know, a different... You're living with somebody who's caught up in his own deep and troubled thoughts, I think. Yeah. And I think the other thing that makes it really tough, I, you know, and it, it depends on what someone is struggling with. But, you know, when Ross was having good days, like, which was often, um, when he was feeling good, it was really normal. Like, I'm not, you know, we would go... Mm hang out. We went to Thanksgiving together a couple uh, years ago. Oh, what was that? Three and a half or yeah, I'm not sure. 
but we, you know, we've hung out with family. We've, we've gone to bars, we've gone to, you know, like restaurants, we've done like social things, you know, when he was feeling well, um, there's, there wasn't like, you know, cause we were having so much fun or just doing nice stuff together. There wasn't a time where I was going to ever like grab him and be like, why, why last week were you feeling so shitty? Like, <laughs> why'd you lock yourself in there? Like we were, you know, we were having a good time. I'm not going to go there and do that. that you know, it, it, that's tough because I don't, you know, I wouldn't want to. Yeah, exactly. And that, that also as a, as a sibling, I think you could be at danger of becoming almost like a parent. Right. Or even worse, something a, I, or a therapist, even worse. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something that also, you know, is, <laughs> is, is, you know, that's something that I definitely, um, I struggled with. I think probably a lot of siblings struggle with if someone's dealing with mental health crisis, um, because you don't, you don't want to become a parent, but you also do want to help and talk about a fine line to, to, to toe there. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you really do that because it, you know, that's tough. Well, it seems like you just have a boundless kind of sensitivity to and compassion or that you've had that for him, you know, throughout most of your life. And I think Mariah was really, when she talked about first meeting Ross and being a little bit nervous because it was so clear to her how important he was to you. Um, that you were protective of him and that, you know, it really, it really mattered that she made a good impression. And I'm just curious, given that, you know, I think for some siblings, when there is one child in a family that, that takes a lot of attention, um, that, you know, maybe, that maybe is, um, yeah, that maybe, maybe takes a lot more of a, par a parent's time and attention when you're growing up, there can be sibling rivalry, there can be resentment. And it seems like you just never, ever responded this way with Ross. You just had seemingly infinite um, resources of, of generosity, of care, compassion, of love for him. And I'm curious how, how that operates or operated for you. Um, I think a lot of that is just like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way to describe it. I, I think it's almost like dumb luck. Like just, I, I'm, I'm, um, I was just kind of like, I'm pretty patient just as a person. So that's something I'm, I would assume you're kind of born with is patience or maybe you can develop that. I don't, I don't know, but I've always been pretty patient. Um, and then also kind of going back to like friendships, I've, I've always had some incredibly close, strong friendships that are similar to like, you know, similar to a, a brother in a lot of ways. Um, and I just like going through, you know, high school for me, I knew, you know, cause we, we went through some rough stuff as, as a family. I, I knew like, you know, how, how much shit Ross went through and like, you know, we, I saw him when he was, I, I forget maybe like 15 or, or something, or, or yeah, 15 or 14, he, he got kind of hauled away to a facility that for people struggling. And, you know, I, I visited, um, a plate, one of the places he was at in Utah, which is, you know, they're not, they're not bad places, but they're, you know, it's still dark in its own sense when, especially 
say I'm like 18 or whatever, and I'm in high school living a perfectly normal high school experience, like, and then to juxtapose that to what Ross was going through, it's pretty easy if you're like a normal person, I think, to have compassion for that. I, I, I saw it for so many years that like, it, it just, you know, it, I think it's, it, it's easy to feel bad for that situation, especially th since I think I've, you know, I've realized and I was able to realize that I've lived like a pretty privileged life. I think just even through like just friends and, you know, having a good high school experience, good college experience, like, you know, just great relationships, you know, like with my friends and Mariah. So I think as far as compassion stuff goes, I think it's been more just kind of luck or easiness of it. Not, not me trying there. I, I, that's what I would say. It's still pretty remarkable. So Teddy, you know, it's, uh, you, you get to May of 2020 and you're, and I know your parents were out of the country or out of, Part of the, state, yeah. they were out yeah. of the states, they were in Hawaii <laughs> during this time when he took his life and that you were the closest to this and, and that you, I think you were the person who discovered um, that he had taken his life. I wonder uh, without, you know, without violating your own sense of what feels comfortable enough to share, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit like what, what, did, what did you, what happened? What happened? Um, so I guess I had been, cause I'd been bouncing back and forth between New London and Hanover. And those are towns separated by about say 45 minutes. Um, cause Mariah's family is from Hanover. So I would hang out with her, you know, this was, this was like the big part of the pandemic where no one knew what the, <laughs> what the hell was going on. So, right. you know you couldn't do anything. You couldn't go anywhere. So I was hanging out with Ross for a few days and I'd go to Mariah's house and, and be there. And I was doing that, um, for at least, I don't know, two or three weeks. And, um, I would just kind of show up at the house whenever, you know, it would, could be Saturday, whatever, Sunday, this particular day was just a Monday morning at whatever, like eight thirty in the morning, um, and yeah, I, I probably I definitely don't want to get into too many real details of, of 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 it, but you know, I I found him and you know had to deal with the police and just whatever panic shit was going on there. The mental drain of that is insane. Um, and like, you know, even directly after my cousin Ryan and my friend Joe drove up from Boston, you know, at a drop of the hat, um, and were there in like two hours, um, just having even that sort of support at that moment, I, is, is pretty vital. I think, um. Without, yeah, without Mariah and Joe and Ryan and just Mariah's parents and like almost like without the, um, it's almost like distraction, I guess, or, or, or yeah, just without the, 
external stuff going on. I think um, getting in my own head after that was pretty brutal. Um, so I can remember well, like even the, I think it was like three, yeah, three days after pretty much the first time I was alone again was a car ride from Hanover to New London. And I remember just even that being really, really tough where it was like only 45 minutes, but just mentally just having no external stuff going on, just being purely in my head was pretty, it was pretty horrible. I, I, it's hard to describe to be honest. And also following it's, it's, it's like these images, these really bad things would stay. It was like, it'd be in my brain, like the morning I woke up. So it would be like, like, as soon as I woke up, I would just have this, this horrible, almost like, like a weird panic attack of sorts where I was just seeing the shit that, that just all of it, you know, and it, um, and that lasted for a, 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 a long time, actually, um, probably, probably two months. Um, and yeah, just, just in general, I think having like healthy distractions helped a lot. Um, I obviously coped in ways that were unhealthy. I drank a shit ton, um, often after that for a little while there couldn't like, you know, I couldn't really sleep without kind of getting drunk, you know, just those good, good coping and bad coping. I started running kind of longer distances and just, so it's just kind of a mess for whatever, <laughs> like months, just kind of like a mess. Um, I still kept working, but just, it was still kind of like, it's almost like working while trying to be in some nightmarish dream. Like you're not, I didn't really get much done. I just, you know, that, so it's pretty, pretty, like looking back to a pretty insane, just, just period there. And it doesn't really seem real even now, which is, I think, uh, weird to think about because even, even now after two and a half years, I still, there's a part of my brain where I think, oh, I could just pick up the phone and call Ross if I needed to. I, I still think that. Right. Right. So you, you were thinking that even those first couple of months, I mean, it was, would you keep like when you wake up in the morning and have these nightmarish experience, it was like, um, like, oh my God, this really happened. Was it that kind of thing? Like, I can't believe was, this really happened. Cause maybe you think you'll wake up in the morning and it won't be true. It was that, but then also it was like the imagery of what I went through would be like, it would be like, it was the weirdest thing. I don't know why my brain was like this, but every morning it would just be like a slap in the face where it would just be like, you went through that. Like, you're gonna think about that. <laughs> like, it was pretty crazy just to wake up like that. And it, and it was not a, like a, a, a good thing to go through. I, I'm, I'm glad that things do change and you know, that doesn't happen. And not in, not in that type of way. Um, but yeah, for a while there, that's kind of what it, what was just kind of like the beginning of my day. That's just kind of what I did. 
So you describe a situation where it's kind of like the inner part of your life. I mean, in your inner life, a nightmare was still had unfolded and you had been through something and it kept coming back. Meanwhile, you're distracted with your friends and you're doing your work. And uh, but but the way you describe that, I've never heard it quite like that before, that you're at the same time, you're doing your work and you're going through a nightmare inside. And like something yeah. like oh, that. that. Without a doubt. I, I mean, I'm I'm very, very lucky to have the network I do. Um, because I think it could be come kind of, you know, I, I, at least for, for me, I think it would be easier to kind of get in a really, really dark place yourself um, without trying to be around people that mean a lot, to, at least for me. I think maybe that's partially because I'm kind of like, you know, extrovert by, by nature. So I like being around people. And that's kind of a more of a comfort place for me. So that being around people helped a lot. Um, you know, friends, family, uh, we, we, we did, you know, even in the period that was really dark, we did some nice things. We, you know, we had a camping trip a couple months after, you know, we did some golf with family. Um, I went to Somerville and, and, you know, and back, um, a number of times. So I being distracted can help a lot, but you know, it, it doesn't mean that you're out of the, you're out of this nightmare. It's still, it's still there. It's just like, you're, you're, you're like, yeah, it's like almost turning your head. It's like, it's still there in the periphery, but you're focused at the moment. You're like, oh no, I've got, I've got my friends and we're doing a nice thing, but you can, it's, if you can see it there, like it, it's pretty fucked up. And like, then, you know, um, yeah, just, just realizing sometimes that it's real is, is not a good thing either. And that, that still happens till now, you know, after whatever, 27 months, that's, that still happens today. How do you talk to yourself in moments when it's really hard? That's a good question. I guess the, the biggest thing to me is I saw firsthand just like a real pain and struggle often that, that Ross went through. And I guess kind of just talking to myself, just knowing that he doesn't, you know, he's, he's, doesn't have to do that and he's not doing that and you know that that helps to some degree but you know obviously there's there's also all the all the good times too that you know or, or some movie or song I'd love to send to him that, that I can't do but I think as far as talking to myself and trying to help my brain and not hurt it more <laughs> I I would say I I try to think that you know that that uh yeah a, a lot of that that struggling that I saw is it's not happening for him now, but I don't know. It doesn't help a ton. I remember your mom said You know, Mariah said something and oh. yeah, go ahead. You know, go ahead, Nicole. Oh, no, I'm just saying I remember your mom said something about, you know, she wanted to be really sure that Ross was certain. Um that he was really, you know, that that he was really certain about this decision that he made, that there was no 
ambivalent, so that was really helpful for you to at least something helpful as things could be possibly, but you know, what he really wanted. Could you talk a little bit about that? Just like what that was that was like for you to kind of wrap your mind around that this is a choice that he maybe to get out of pain? Yeah. Um I think one of the things that I struggle with and I and you know is for instance like you hear those stories where someone might jump from a bridge and they survive and they say they realized in the air that they didn't want to do this and and I without going into the details of what Ross did were you know he, you know, he tried and failed and moved and tried and succeeded. That's a lot of time. That's a lot, that's a lot more than a few seconds in the air off a bridge. That's right. a lot of time to think through what you're doing and, and be in harm's way and come out of harm's way and put yourself back in it. Um, I do think about that where, you know, I, that's a, that's, you know, he was in that moment, at least, or that whole night, you know, he, he was certain and, and, you know, now so he showed determination, I guess. He, he, it was, and it, yeah. yes. And it, you know, I think it, it ties back in some ways to how mentally smart and, and tough he was. I mean, he was at, a place in I forget Utah or, or somewhere with the, with the help uh, people that struggle with mental illness, and he went on like a a ten day or eleven day hunger strike or something, um, which I think was the longest any any kid it's like the longest any kid's ever gone at this facility, and you know he's he was he was really you know like mentally like obviously troubled but tough and smart and you know and determined um and determined you know your mother said your mother said it reminds me of one thing your mother said about him is that <clears throat> she said like if you put a kid in a timeout for misbehavior you could put him in a timeout and say how many minutes he was going to have to be in the timeout and he wouldn't come out of it he would just like stay in the timeout Yes. <laughs> the way she described it made me think he could he could still be in that timeout today. Like he had oh, a certain determination. Yeah. Like like you're not going to punish me. I'm going to out punish myself beyond yes. anything no, we it, can it, imagine. <laughs> yeah, that's that that is that is something that would happen. And um, and it's funny too because for a, I mean, a lot of the time too, my dad couldn't even put him in a timeout. He was just he would just. <laughs> You just stand up at, you know, a little four-year-old standing up to adults. It's just like, like, it's pretty, pretty crazy to see. I mean, what, I mean, what are you going to do? Like tie him up and put him in a corner? Like he just, he just, he just wouldn't, he just wouldn't listen sometimes. It was wild. I, 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 yeah, he's, he's stubborn. And I think, um, yeah, I, I know like, like, I, like the stubbornness carries like, yeah, like through, 
as an adult for him, when he was struggling, I always thought therapy would be an awesome thing for him to do. But it was also clear that if it wasn't his choice, that shit was never going to happen. It, like, it, it, and, and even if you, you know, put chains on him and put him in a room, he could go to therapy a thousand hours and not do a thing if he had to. I mean, it needed to be his choice. I think I, I, I was always, um, mm. I, I was always sad that he never, he never made that choice. I, especially as an adult, I think, I think if he found someone he liked speaking with, it could have really helped him quite a bit, but. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. I mean, I, and I know that because uh, in those two years before he ended his life, your mother would meet with me and Alan then and talk about him and try to think of every way possible to get him to go see somebody. She wanted him to come and see me or meet with me. She wanted to trick him into coming to see me because he wouldn't come. He wouldn't come. You know, she said, well, because they sell marijuana down in Northampton and we could go down there together and you're out of marijuana. Now let's go buy some marijuana. And then, oh, by the way, let's stop by and see Charlie. I mean, I think that was, she just was thinking of everything she could to get him to somehow see somebody. But it sounded like he was, like you said, the kind of person who, uh, you know, he had, a, he had his mind, his mind was a very powerful instrument. And it was yes. not, you, you couldn't it, sort of get him to do stuff that he didn't want to do. I think that's, that's got to be the probably the biggest one of the biggest struggles for our family, really, and probably a lot of families is, you know, people that are stubborn. There's especially adults that are very stubborn. I mean, and you know, you're not really gonna force anyone into something. That a lot of it has to be their own choice. Um, I I know we we did a group class at McLean a number of years ago um, with uh, with families that had loved ones that were struggling. And I remember other parents in, in that as well saying, you know, that's the hardest thing. If someone is a, a younger person, there are some ways it seems like where you can kind of push them into doing some stuff, but mm -hmm. adults, it, if it's someone's a, 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 an adult and they're stubborn, you can't, you know, you could, you can help them um, try to, you know, find their way there, but you're never going to be able to just push them into it. <laughs> just seems like, especially with Ross, like there's just, there was just no way. No way. No way. No, no way. I, no. I would hear all, of all of your, your mother's efforts to figure out your mother seemed to have a nonstop job figuring out what to do to try to get him help. And it was just, very, very difficult. And, and so, you know, and she was so grateful that, that Ross had a brother, even in spite of all the hardship that Ross had and however difficult he felt life to be and however pointless he found life to be, that you would show up and he'd go do something, you know, and you and Mariah would show up and he would go and do something with you guys. You were like a trio is the way Mariah was putting it. Um, yeah, I think... I think like one of the things that I, I hope he didn't think and I, and I don't think he did, but I was never really trying to like, 
like make him better or help him. Like, yeah, especially as an adult, like I was just being his friend and his brother. Like I, I, I was, I was trying to treat him no different than anyone else. That's what I did. I, I don't, I don't know if that was right or wrong or whatever, but, um, but like, like I, I, one of the things I do think about a lot is if I could tell him something, I would just want him to know that he was one of my best friends. I wasn't acting or trying to trick him into having fun. I was just being his friend. It was a legit thing. I don't know if he knew that fully. I hope he did. Um, but that's one of the things I do think about a lot. Just, you know, it, I I was just, (laughs) yeah, I was just there, you know, being, just doing stuff together. I wasn't, you know, really trying to like cure him or do any tricks or anything. You know, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that sneaky. I was just trying (laughs) to like, (laughs) let me tell you, but he was, it's sort of like a chess game. He's a better chess player than you will. If if it were, if it were up to that. And I, and I relate to this Teddy, because as a therapist, sometimes I've worked with pretty stubborn people and, um, I find that everything I try to do when they know I'm trying to do something doesn't work. And then the, and then finally, the, when something finally happens where there's a little breakthrough, it's probably when I gave up being a therapist and, and I just come in and I, and, and, and finally with this her current one 16 year old boy that I once worked with who wouldn't talk to me for three months, literally wouldn't talk to me for three months. He had that same level of stubbornness um, that your brother had. And, and I can't, and I would try everything under the sun and I talk to other people and nothing is working. Right. And so I come in one day and I just decided, fuck it. I'm done. I've, I've been fired. I've, I've failed as a therapist. And I sat down and I thought, what am I going to talk about? So I told him about a problem that I had with my own son, my two-year-old, but that something had happened the day before that was troubling. And suddenly he's interested. I like a, the second I signed off as being his therapist, but he's like says, "Oh, and and what happened to you? And what happened to your son?" I thought, "Whoa, who's this person?" So I do think that Ross would probably sense people trying to get him to do stuff, and he had a bad experiences of that as his wilderness camps that your mother told us about. So it's kind of like I mean he maybe already was that kind of person. So the fact that he had you who just wanted to be with him and wasn't trying to like foist some agenda on him or trick him out of his isolation. Probably really good. And, and your dad seems no to have the same quality. No agenda, just yeah. you just show up. And, and you accept it if he can't go. You just, that's hard too. I mean, you drive, when you said you drive two hours to see him and then he says, no, <laughs> it's like, okay. That that, yeah. that requires you calling on the patience that you said you have <laughs> to not sort of smack him in the head, you know, at that point. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, cause it's, it's a, I think I already spoke to this, but it's a, it's a tough line though, because, you know, as a sibling, you do want to actually help like in a progressive manner. Um, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's a place for like a, a brother or sister, really. I, I don't know, at least, for, you know, for me, it, it, I didn't think it was. I just don't know because I just always worried so much about turning into another parent, the third parent. And I, you know, that was my biggest worry often with, I was thinking, you know, often I would be 
I would think through, like, you know, I could, I could have agendas here and try stuff, but it's like, you know, that's that for my experience, it seems like a slippery slope. And I definitely, I definitely could be wrong about that. And maybe I was wrong about that, but you know, that's just what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Very good wow. so, I hope Ted, so, Teddy. We're um, we're we're going to stop in just a minute, and I I just wonder was was there anything you had in mind leading into this that you wanted to make sure and and say, um, you know, if you're imagining somebody listening to this uh, who's maybe in a situation like you've been in. I guess for someone in a situation similar to myself, I would just want like someone to know that, that, that period, that period after it does change. And it, and as far as like saying in general, for me, it's been two and a half years saying in general that it gets like better would be a lot. It doesn't get better, but it changes a lot. And that, like, that panic attacky, overwhelming, monster freaking cloud of a life I had those months following, mm. that changes a lot. Um, and it, it, it's still dark sometimes for damn sure. But that was, you know, I could see, I could see people being in that period and just thinking that shit's never going to end. Cause that's what I thought. I, I was like, this is going to be the rest of my fucking life. Like this, this, this stuff, but it does change. And it did for me. And I would assume for most people it would, but you know, that, that crazy cloud has dissipated some. Um, and, and that is, I would just hope people would, would uh, hear that. Yeah. 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 I think that's really important. Yeah, it's really huge. No. So, Teddy, thank you. I mean, it's you never know with these podcasts, like, what's going to strike somebody. There could be something that you think was the least important thing you said. Somebody's listening and says, oh, my God. I mean, because you don't know where other people are coming from. But we really appreciate that you just were willing to get into the detail about what you went through and what he's like, what, what, you, what you're like, and how that worked. I mean without knowing what the outcome will be and, and coming off of a lot of travel and making a move and everything. So thanks for, thanks for being willing to do that. And I just want to say, um, other than the fact that when we went to Mount major and we hiked up Mount major, which you played a huge role in, like you were the, the leading fundraiser because all your friends came out and everybody donated and everybody showed up and all of a sudden your mother just, thought, oh, we'll do this little thing and whew, became quite a big thing all of a sudden very fast. It was very meaningful to me to be uh, walking up there with you guys. I just wish that you weren't such a good hiker because I got left behind by you and your father. <laughs> you and your father are both such amazing. Well, your mother is too. You're all such amazing hikers. And uh, I just haven't done as much hiking. So. But it was very nice to be with you. And um, I wanted to tell you what we told Mariah too, is that she didn't seem to know this, but uh, on on my website where these things get posted, uh, there's a gallery that got linked to your mother's podcast with photographs that include uh, one photograph with you and Mariah and your mother and father uh, at the top of Mount Major. I don't know if you remember that photograph being taken, 
Mariah remembered it because she was not going to be in it. And then your mother said, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> it was very nice. Um, but those, some of those pictures are quite special too. If, if you were ever telling anyone else about this podcast and checking it out, if they to see the pictures, there's some very nice pictures of Ross uh, among the ones that uh, are there. So thank you a lot. Thank you. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me do this. I, I, I hope, uh, you know, for for someone or a sibling or, or someone, it's, it's helpful to hear the story. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. There's no question. All right. We're going to sign off. All right. Here we go.